My sisters and brothers, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said to his disciples, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you always. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot accept because it neither sees nor knows him. But you know him because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live and you will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my father and you are in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and observes them is the one who loves me. And whoever loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him and reveal myself to him. The gospel of the Lord is in Lord Jesus Christ. Our three scripture readings today take us to three points, distinct points in the revelation of the mystery of our salvation in Christ. The gospel is the first point. This is said on the night before Jesus' death in, in, in the gospel of John. And Jesus makes a long discourse in which he is predicting what will happen to him and making a great promise that as, as a result of what is happening to him, we will experience something extraordinary. He makes reference to the fact that, yes, he's going to leave, but he has to. He has to leave in order for the promise, the great promise, to be fulfilled. And the great promise is that as he leaves, he doesn't leave us orphans, but pours out upon us the very spirit that he shares with his father. And in that outpouring, he brings us into the same relationship that he and his father have always had. A relationship of deep intimacy, of profound trust, of obedience, all spelling love. The love between Jesus and his father, he promises we will be part of in a profound and intimate way. He also makes the prediction that the world around us won't get that. But we will, as long as we are understanding that the gift has been given to us, of the Holy Spirit. The second point that the readings take us to is the first missionary journey that the church takes part in. They now know this Holy Spirit, this advocate. They have experienced the Spirit drawing them into incredible sense of unity with God. And they experience power and healing and courage and witness as they bear witness to the resurrection of Christ from which this gift has come. We see Philip, who was one of the deacons we met last week in the, in the first reading. And he goes outside of Jerusalem for the first time. The church leaves Jerusalem and goes north 
to Samaria. Fascinating choice. Because while Samaritans were Jews who followed the law of the Jews, they always differed from the Jews in Jerusalem in the way they worship God. They were cousins, certainly, if not even closer relatives in the family of God. But that difference for centuries and centuries was a source of disunity, of hostility, and actual hatred. And the first place the church is sent to bring the good news of Jesus' resurrection is to the hated family members, the Samaritans. But in this power of the spirit by which Philip goes, an extraordinary thing happens. Where there had always been nothing but disunity and hostility and hatred. The spirit of Christ comes pouring forth, evokes faith from the Samaritans. And they embrace being joined into the body of Christ through baptism. And then they too receive the same gift of the spirit that had been poured forth on the first disciples in Jerusalem. It looks like a great victory, and indeed it is, although it's going to spell trouble. As the world that doesn't understand the way the spirit works will find cause for rejection and dissension and threat. And hovering over everything in the Acts of the Apostles is that while the spirit lives powerfully, the world is ready to resist the spirit in the form of persecution and threats and making life difficult. But then the third point, the first letter of Peter, which is actually an instruction to people who are preparing for baptism. And in that first century, to prepare for baptism meant that somehow or another, you had heard the good news. And you had come to believe indeed that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, the one who is to come. And that though he had been killed by the powers of this world, God raised him up and poured forth upon the world God's very spirit of love. But God's spirit of love is not the spirit of the world. It's a completely different spirit. The spirit of the world looks for power. The spirit of God looks for service and love and humility. The spirit of God seeks to divide and conquer. The spirit, or the spirit of the world seeks to divide and conquer. The spirit of God is all about bringing about unity where there was not. As happened in Samaria. But there's going to be opposition. And so as Peter is instructing those preparing for baptism, he's making it clear to them that they are about to embrace life in its fullness. They are about to receive life like they never felt it before. But that reception of life might cost them their lives in the form of suffering and even death and martyrdom. But he assures them that the powers of this world that can only take away life are nothing compared to the power of the spirit of God that can only bring forth life 
in its fullness. And so he encourages them, and we are also encouraged to receive the advocate, the one who will bear witness with us to the spirit of God at work in the world, fully aware that it is going to be in opposition to the spirit of the powers of this world and allow ourselves to be led by the spirit of God to seek unity in all things, to seek and do love first and foremost, and to know full well that while the world will resist us, just as it resisted Christ, the powers of this world can only take away life. The power of the Spirit of God can only bring about and give life.